Hello, and welcome to Faking Wits, a book club podcast in which I sit down with some very good friends and we talk about a book that we have read. My name is Shinzi, and oh, I'm really happy about this song. Um, it comes from the heart, so please try not, don't make fun of it. Reading books, reading books, every day at the library, giving books, giving books, I don't consider it bribery. talented okay all right all right Ooh, that's uh that was really good if i do say so myself um and i can tell from all the stunned expressions at the table that you need a moment to just take that in maybe we should edit that moment out <laughs> why <laughs> it felt real it felt real okay but Let's discuss this later. Okay. All right. Ooh, okay. <laughs> shaking off. Shaking off. Who's joining me at this uh, this table today of learning? Hello, I'm Johnny Gillum. I'm, how are you, Chin? I'm good, thank you. I usually ask how people are. Um, how are you? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I I've overstepped my purview. <laughs> I know. I know. I, it's, that's fine. No, no. I, I I it's you know what? Uh, not many people ask me how I am. I I've been doing very well, as you probably no doubt. Um surmise from that song um i've been getting in touch with my feelings about books recently and really assessing like what i really feel about them (laughs) i was like you'll like this jim Uh i was talking to myself in the shower the other day and i misspoke and i actually uh, confused um the singer-songwriter daniel johnson with the fictional character daniel plainview and i've been having immense fun ever since (laughs) because they go well together Dude. There's a monster inside of me. <laughs> well, I was living in a devil town. I'm walking the cow. <laughs> and it also works the other way around as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Take him to the peach tree dance. <laughs> I, I drink your milkshake. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that really works. It's quite hard to do a Daniel Johnson impression, I've just realised. <laughs> well, I think he sort of sl- he lisps a little bit and it's kind of reedy and high. You need the plinky plonky... Uh, keyboard. You absolutely do. Oh my goodness! You know what? That um, that is such a what's the word I'm looking for? Serendipitous use of the uh, realization that both of them have the name Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was it you were talking to yourself in the shower about? Um, it was it was about um, I was thinking about art and like different between lo-fi and hi-fi. And Daniel Johnson is an example of a lo-fi artist. <laughs> so you were laying out some sort of. Thesis. Like a manifesto about how I approach my art. So you were laid out in feces. <laughs> no, a thesis. Oh, okay. okay. You heard me, Chin. 
Oh, I, you know what? I totally heard what you said the first time. I was messing with you. I was doing basically what Johnny had done with the name Daniel with the words feces and feces. We create a new style of humor. It's never been done before where we take words that sound similar yes. and manipulate their meaning. It turns out my slightly hard of hearing dad is a pioneer in this sort of uh, humor um, without even realizing it. But you, you know what? I, 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 Sorry to take the focus off words that sound like other words, but uh, we are being joined by a good friend of mine, a good friend of the podcast, um, and Regular listeners would probably realise um, that that voice sounds very familiar, and that's not because like it's a voice that you. That sounds a lot like a lot of other voices that are happening <laughs> in the show, but it is because this is a voice that has ha- belongs to a person who's been on the show before. Introduce yourself. Well, I'm, I'm the captain, of course, but I think that most people, regardless of their listenership to this podcast, would have heard of me. This is this is his his thing um, that like he does. Which is, uh, he, he assumes that everybody knows who he is and has heard of him. Which is not unfair. I've heard the words of the captain bandied about in many scenarios. I saw well, they're name. always talking about me. And apparently it was a definitive captain they were referring to. I saw the captain was listed on the Latitude Festival this year. Is that true? Mm, yeah, I'm appearing at the Latitude Festival. In what capacity? Are you a musician or a stand-up? Or you- um, I'm just talking about my life story. You could do that? You could do that yeah. at music festivals these days? Just well, when you're as famous as me. Okay, right. It's like when Jeremy Corbyn headlined the Pyramid stage. Did he actually talk about his life story, though? I think he, he read some poems. <laughs> wow, the um, bar has been lowered substantially for music festivals these days. It's so good to have you here with us, The oh, Captain. Oh, well, thanks for having me. You know what? I, I always feel a bit weird calling you The Captain as a definitive article. I don't think we've ever established whether we should call you by something um, a bit more... Familiar, I feel we know each other now. No, the captain's just fine. Okay, alright, fair enough, fair enough. Honorifics it is. Uh, what we- are you a captain of? I'm a captain of industry. Hmm. Do you have, it's a bit confusing though, right? <laughs> wide range of industries. I feel that like, if you have to explain that you're not actually a naval captain, you're a captain of industry, it feels like maybe you should just lead with the fact that you're a captain of industry. So you're a businessman. Well, yeah, I suppose in so many words, uh, I'm a businessman. I'm I'm a recently appointed member of the Bilderberg Group. <laughs> the Bildenberg Group. group. Is, that, is that the new world domination? Yeah, so it is. They've changed. The one that sounds a bit like the Bilderberg Group. And they you, you, it's a place you go and they make your own burger. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So not the Bilderberg Group where you yeah. build your own bears. And, like, um, <laughs> and plot world domination. <laughs> I go to Pine Grove. Oh, okay. Pine Grove, not the not Bohemian Grove. Oh, you're part. No, I mean the Indian, I mean the Indian group. Okay, okay. I'm the the base player. This just sounds like the uh, the world's biggest conspiracy that's just like like not been able to hatch its plot because it was lacking a letter. <laughs> just like uh, I'm part of the Bilderberg Group, and we we all meet up at Pine Grove. Who else is a member of the Bilderberg Group? Um, John Ronson. <laughs> Wow, okay. Paul Thomas Anderson. Wow, okay, okay. Bit of a hodgepodge group. <laughs> just just make people you might give TED Talks. Um, oh, oh, Mo Omar, the comedian. Oh, is he part of the building? <laughs> yeah, he is. How do you oh. explain his meteoric rise? It's true. And I always wondered why he he, he kind of holds off on like the, the true rulers of this of this planet. Um, I'm not saying who, because we might get sued. 
and also might come off as a bit anti-Semitic if I say it. Well, we weren't until you said that. <laughs> I won't say who the true rulers are because I'm not anti-Semitic. Really out you as an anti-Semite, which leads us towards the uh, theme of the book, but we are also oh, yet, also yet to introduce the third guest. Yes. Is John Ronson not Jewish? Oh, um, that's a good question. Yes, he is. He oh, is. okay. All right. I confuse him with Louis Farouk, who is not Jewish. Uh, okay. <laughs> Wait, so you're a shadowy cabal that runs the world, but you can't name yourself or really remember who who the members of this group are. I thought I gave you four members, boy. <laughs> you confused <laughs> who they were. No. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Johnny, you got to admit he's being very open about this like, secret conspiracy. <laughs> The secret cabal of the world. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've seen your list of numbers. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair it sounds enough. like a benevolent cabal, though. That's the kind of cabal I want. Why do you pick the world? What makes you think? Oh, sorry. I, I, before we get go on, yeah, who like, is this man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we need to introduce him and return to your point. Sorry, yes. Uh, sorry, I'm Adam. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's absolute uh, pleasure, Adam. Um, I, uh, there was something I wanted to say. Um, well, how do you know it's a I, benevolent like oh, yeah. uh, conspiracy? Well, you said uh, John Ronson, yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson, uh-huh. who was who else was there? Um, I three exceptional individuals who I'd be happy to be secretly dominated by. I'm really, I can't help but feel the average listener is going to go like, I'm not sure who that person is. The star is rising. Yeah. He's very funny. I saw him last night and he was nice to me, so maybe that's why. I am. Oh, okay. A rare night off for him from his <laughs> duties. Well, um, how is, um, how do you all fulfill your duties then as the secret controllers of the world? I'm, I'm assuming you're the only members of the Bilderberg group. Well, there were many others, but they've signed statements saying they do not wish to be named. Okay. But they, <laughs> but you didn't. Those um, four uh, explicitly have said I wish to be named. They ticked the box <laughs> in the bottom of the entry form. Wow, okay. Okay. So, um, I, uh, well, well, you know what? Let's park that for a moment yeah. and get, um, and let's try and dig into what we're here to discuss. So, as I said before, this is a book club podcast. We talk about books and we are currently in our, um, unofficial dystopian series. Uh, we've been doing a lot of the dystopian literature, as I'm sure the, uh, keen eyed listener has, um, spotted. Um, and we've reached the next book in our series, um, which was suggested by, um, Adam himself. It's The Man in the High Castle by Philip K. Dick. Now, Adam, what made you suggest this, and what makes you think this is a work of dystopian literature as opposed to a work of uh, alternate history? Well, Germany and Japan. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a book which imagines what would happen if Germany and Japan had won the Second World War. Okay, okay. So for me, to not see that as a dystopian fiction would make me an anti-Semite. Because <laughs> I know some people listening to this podcast are going, I thought this was dystopian fiction. Why are you doing utopian fiction? Uh, I just want to make it very clear. I consider this, along with many people, a dystopia. Okay. You know what? I'm hearing, I'm hearing a lot of the A word being bandied about today, and I'm not, I don't like it. I don't no, the A word is anti-Semite. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I'm well, saying. Unfortunately, it is a... A theme of a novel, although the novel doesn't really concentrates on the Japan-controlled areas mm. of uh, the world, which is mainly mainly and mainly the Western That's United right. States, the PSA, PSA, yes, mm-hmm. the Pacific States of America, which are controlled by Japan. Um, 
but what what the Germans have done to the world is 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 mentioned and uh, well worth talking about. I mean, I mean, going back to your point about like um, whether it's dystopian or uh, or alternate history or utopian, and what the Germans have done for the world, um, I will say that they uh, they you know they colonized the moon, Venus, and Mars, and uh, that's pretty cool, right? It's pretty cool. Alongside that, they've uh, wiped out everybody living in Africa. Oh, so, okay. I mean, uh, there are there are counterbalances. <laughs> it's the awful, Perhaps. yeah. It's the awful suggestion that like Africa was holding back the world from colonizing the moon and the Ve- and Venus and Mars in this book, which I'm not comfortable with. Actually. I think they were separate things. I don't know. I think they're, they're, it's suggested in this book that they're kind of connected. They're kind of connected. Like if you put your bag down and then someone wins you the lottery um yeah exactly that bag was holding you back from winning the lottery I what a good friend to win the lottery for you <laughs> yeah well they did on your behalf <laughs> well, what, that, that, exactly I'm, I'm making that connection very very admin like if you hadn't put that bag down maybe you wouldn't have won the lottery is what mm. I'm saying hmm I mean, this is kind of what the book's about as, as well. It takes a lot of um, uh, leads and connections from um, another uh, um, ancient philosophy, a uh, Chinese philosophy called uh, the I Ching. Wait, another ancient philosophy? Another ancient the philosophy. first ancient philosophy being Nazism. Yes. <laughs> All right, carry on. Pretty ancient, right? What defines something as ancient? Oh, something that's before 1979, mm. which is the year before I was born. Well, mm. yeah. Yai Ching's like... 10,000 BC. That's right. It's, it's really ancient. It's really ancient. Very ancient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... Well, parts of it. I mean, not... Let's, let, I mean, can we agree that the I Ching is an ancient philosophy? I agree that it is, yeah. And Nazism is also a very old philosophy. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Shared. And <laughs> motion is carried, then. Um, but So everything that happened before the rise of Margaret Thatcher... You consider it to be ancient history. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. It's the only way he can reconcile himself with his own conception. My own conception, yes, that's true. That's true because it happened before 1979. That's I right. Imagine. That's right. I mean, I mean, I mean, I've been trying to make a uh, new so, stab at the calendar. Like, um, I want to get rid of the the idea of like that we're living in the year 2019 AD, and want to move into more of a calendar that suggests that we're living in the year 38 AC, uh, which is 38 years after Chin. And you don't need to Maybe change right. BC because it's to be the same. Yes, exactly. You know. Every, everything is a lot before BC, though. Like, uh, oh, and I'm BC because you are BC. Born, I'm, 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 I am ancient. Exactly. I'm, I'm so glad we're all getting on board with this. You know, this is all easier than I thought it would be. Actually, not uh, to get bogged down in the mythos of the podcast, but it was revealed once that you're going to live at least to, to the year eighteen thousand. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so that makes non-ancient history quite long. <laughs> That's very true. That's very, very true. Look, we are like, um, we are living in a new era, I would say, that came into being by my own birth. I decided to um, embrace this uh, idea of my podcast, uh, bringing on apparently the end of the world and the collapse of civilization as we know it, um, even though we've only got like the average about 200 listeners. <laughs> so somehow that's going to have a seismic impact on the earth. Maybe the but Bilderberg group are may- the only people to listen. <laughs> exactly. From from tiny acorns, gigantic oak trees do spring forth, as the um, saying goes. It's a good group of people to have listened to you. John Ralston is a very 
influential young man. Does he actually listen to this though? Yeah, he does. I, I've got a feeling that he might just listen to the first three seconds and then turn it off. I mean, that still counts as a listen, apparently. <laughs> but uh, um, a brief yeah. note on John Ronson. Right, he's got the audiobook series The Last Days of August, which is very good, and it tells a sort of often tragic story about the death of someone who worked in the porn industry, and it's very sensitively handled. But every episode ends with The Last Days of August was written by me, John Robson. As <laughs> <laughs> like, why is the end with that like really arrogant note? <laughs> Um, so that's a plug for um, the last days of August. <laughs> so I'll pass it on to John. I will do it. Yeah, we um, we're big fans of this. Big fans of this. Um, let's get stuck into this book, right? Um, okay. So this, we agree, this is a dystopian work of literature. Um, is it a work of science fiction? Uh, impossible things happen within a physicalist frame. Okay. Like they um, they drain the Mediterranean and terraform it. And they colonize Venus, which I think it's fair to say. And they have they have rockets that shoot around super fast. <laughs> That's pretty science fiction, yeah. No, fair mm, enough, fair enough. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. There's no electropop, which is the most science fiction, or theremins, which is the most science fiction. How do you know there's no electropop? Uh, because there's no, it's never mentioned of <laughs> electropop. Now, but by the same token, if you were to take the novel uh, The Great Gatsby, you'd say, well, how do you know there's not loads of ghosts in the room at any one time? It's like, well, they've not been mentioned. How do you know that? <laughs> I was there, and there were. You were where? I was at The Great Gatsby. You were in the book. Yeah. In well, the fictional book, The Great Gatsby. Well, and I was I was around that period. Okay, you were in that time period. Yeah. Okay. How old are you? Uh, you know. I'm 90, 94. You're 1994. No, 94. I repeat, I'm, like, I'm very old. So okay, I'm okay. Myself. So The Great Gatsby was certainly years before The Great Depression, which was 1929, which has age. So it's in the 20s. Let's work it out. Let's work it out. So you're 94, 20. Oh, well, Chin does the maths. What specific food can you only eat? <laughs> You know, types of food. <laughs> so, 2010. Oh, 94. I, technically, you should be more like uh, 80. Um, hey, I guess it checks out. I guess it checks out. And you liked what food? <laughs> I, like, I like plantain. I like all types of food. Okay, so okay. You, you were a child running around the parties. Yeah, I was, yeah. Like, you told people to take their kids to the parties. It's always the worst. <laughs> <laughs> like, two-year-old hanging around and trying to do copes. <laughs> I um, liked it then. Well, you know what? I, <laughs> were you in the back of the car? Yeah, yeah. Ran over. No, I wasn't. At <laughs> that point, I don't know. I played a bit part. I knew Jeff played a bit part in the real world of the Great Gatsby, <laughs> which you maintain is riddled with ghosts. <laughs> and I just uh, Scott Fitzgerald told me it was okay because I was his brother. So. <laughs> in arms, not real brother. Okay, okay, okay. All right. All right. What war did you fight with F. Scott Fitzgerald? <laughs> uh, the war against drugs. <laughs> well, you yeah. did a great job of that, didn't you? I mean, you know, it was he was living through the Prohibition era. I'm pretty sure they were anti-drugs as well. Like, uh, as long as it wasn't like, uh, as as long as it was, uh, most of the focus was on booze. They thought, like, you know what? I don't think we're spending enough time really focusing on the real dangers of cocaine and heroin. Well, that's the well, why would anyone want to take cocaine if there's no booze around? <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. It's like taking away, um, it's like allowing vinegar but batting chips. It's like, it's not going to happen. So your, your analogy is that, um, <laughs> alcohol, <laughs> alcohol is alcohol to is cocaine is as vinegar is to chips. <laughs> 
optional, though. So, do you sprinkle some alcohol on your cocaine before you, you take it? And no, the alcohol. That's a natural mind. Just saying. I'm just saying. Um. All right. Uh. Yeah. The so, captain was mentioning um, moving between the realities of fiction and reality, yes. which is also dealt with in the man in the high cast. It is. It is. Let's um, let's say that because that is a mind blowing moment in the book. Um. It might be a book breaker. Um. Uh. Which is uh. Uh, a term I've invented for uh, when the book is broken, um, and but like up until that point, it, I'm taking it. I've, I've, I've sort of accepted this world as being a very grim, kind of realistic world. Uh, Philip K. Dick has clearly gone to lengths to explain how Nazi Germany and um, Japan uh, took over America. Uh, one of the big reasons being that um, FDR is uh, is killed and assassinated, and as a result, America never really fully joins the war. And pretty soon, the Allied forces of uh, Great Britain and France are overwhelmed, and America is taken over. And notice that Italy didn't get much of a say in the carv- carving up of America, though. Um, why do you think that was? Because then you'd have to do a dystopia where they're like, and this part of New York is just like Italy. They call it Little Italy. <laughs> and that wouldn't be a good piece of science fiction. I mean, like, how... If Italy was given Little Italy, just how intensely Italian do you think Little Italy would have become? Like, um... I mean, it was. it's pretty... It, I mean, I've been to Little Italy, and I have to say that it is, most, it is mostly just Chinatown now. Um... Chinese have taken over most of Little Italy. And so, what did you do in Little Italy? Uh, I had a girl laugh about how we'd won. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the nearest uh, uh, um, uh, Italian restaurant and said, I don't think so. I want noodles. And what are you going to do about it? Noodles that you eat with a spork, exactly. a spork and a spoon. <laughs> exactly. And then we argued about who invented noodles. Like, I said that Marco Polo had stolen it, and I said this is revenge for Marco Polo stealing our idea. We've, okay, we've taken we've taken over this literally. So you consider the Man in the High Castle to be a dystopian book, whereas you are um, currently battling a six hundred year old race war with Italians. This is not a race war. This is not a race war. Um, this is just um, like it's, pranks. It's, 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 it's banter. It's the banter of the victor to their defeated foe. You know, as you get sometimes. As you Do get you sometimes. consider yourself a? A dominant culture. Um, yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, yeah, his own self or his race. Yeah, I mean, we we yeah, like the Chin culture. We do judge all time by when yeah. Chin was born. Come on, guys, get with the program. It's the year thirty eight <laughs> AC. Okay, yeah, exactly, like, yeah. come on, like we we need we are consult the I Chin. <laughs> uh, I like that. I like that. Like, it's, what does the Archian say? It's, it's a bit like <laughs> following the uh, logic of the uh, Bilderberg group, where you take a pre-existing property <laughs> and just miss one of the letters this, out. This podcast is an alternate reality. Mm. This very true. It's very true. Um, it's, um, uh, yeah, ancient texts and uh, secret cabals. Um, is it an alternate history, or is it just the real, true history of the world? Interesting. And the rest of the world is an alternative history. Well, ex- well, I just call it fake history, personally. But, um, uh, yeah, we can call it alternate history well, if you want. That's the uh, terrible question the people at the end of the book face, which uh, is what you were starting to refer to. I was kind of going to. Is that what you meant by book breaker, like giving away the, the secret climax? 
Yes. Um, well, I think more of a book breaker in terms of uh, it kind of shatters the world that they, uh, the world of the book that we're, uh, we we kind of have to live through. Um, I, I guess what's interesting to me about this book isn't necessarily the story or the characters or even necessarily the writing style. How about the words? Uh, Are they interesting to you? <laughs> intermittently. Um, no, what interests Punctuation. Me? How do you feel with punctuation? Uh, punctuation. Well, that's kind of my jam anyway. Um, I like punctuation. Jam is my jam. Yeah. No, I, that wasn't a, that was an invitation for you to interrupt me when I'm talking about what punctuation. Talking about punctuation. No, punctuation is obviously a very important uh, part of any uh, work of literature because how would you know when it's ended? What about um, the Aeneid, the ancient Roman text that existed before punctuation? <sighs> That's rubbish. That's rubbish. Trash. Do you like Cormac McCarthy? I do, because he is to punctuation what Miles Davis is to uh, writing books. Um, they <laughs> doesn't. They, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you don't like the last chapter of your season? Um, I, I don't really consider that like a chapter. It's just a bunch of words that just spilled out on the page. Um, it's just a fragment, really. Um, yeah. But the work of Christopher Walken. Uh, the, what, oh, no. That's a, there's a good punctuation. Yeah. Created his own. Mm-hmm. Punctuation. I, I think I, I've got nothing. Like we had to uh, issue him a license. Yep. He, he is to punctuation <laughs> what Ornette Coleman is to sentences. Uh, I don't know who that is. Free jazz improviser. Ah, right, okay. Improviser. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't listen to jazz. That's that's interesting. But you that's grew up in the jazz age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I get my ears closed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, though, when you go to a festival and there's little children there yeah. wearing those big headsets. <laughs> okay, okay. So wearing you... one of those. Okay, so you didn't hear any jazz music? <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay. My daddy would slap a big headset on me and say, don't listen to this, Sonny Jim, oh. the captain. I mean, it's all right. <laughs> so you would notice the captain since you were a small boy. Well, yeah, because he knew how to take over his business. What was he yeah. called? He was called El Captorino. <laughs> El Captorino. <laughs> what was his favorite though? I don't know. I don't rightly claim to know that. You know, the captain, <laughs> it's completely feasible and all right for you to just not like jazz without having to go through the whole rigmarole, <laughs> covering up your ears as a child so you couldn't hear any jazz whilst you were a child. You could just say, nah, it's not my bag, baby. It's fine, it's fine. I mean, I don't like some music. It doesn't be like, oh, I grew up in the, the 80s. Oh, you you must love, like, uh, synth pop. So, nope, I mortared my ear holes shut to stop these musical songs of Gary Newman infiltrating my brain and that's why I don't like it to this day because I've never heard it <laughs> so uh, okay um, as I was saying before um, what I what interests me about the book is the concept and also kind of the the message and the theme of the book because well let's just skip to the ending this book doesn't really have an ending does it well no I think it, uh, I think it does have uh, it has well it's got so many multiple plot strands mm-hmm. of different characters, and their their stories reach a conclusion. But yes, it kind of suggests things going on after that. But I think the end, the very ending of the book, poses a terrible question for the people in the book, in a way, and in, a, in another way, a hopeful question as well, because it suggests 
Should we give away the ending? Is that yes? Yeah, no, we absolutely. Two hundred yeah. listeners. Yeah, my, yeah. <laughs> will be spoiled. Yeah, I mean, I, enjoyment. Um, I think I think it's fair fair warning to say that if you're listening to this uh, podcast episode about the man in the high castle, and you don't wish to have the events of the man in the high castle spoiled for you in any way, then you should. It's not real. Um, it's all in the book. Um, probably stop listening now. Uh, Sorry, you were saying, yeah. Adam, yeah. And this ending is going to upset the, your um, anti-Semitic listeners a lot. So, <laughs> What, the ones that picked so, up the man in the high castle who were really enjoying it <laughs> yeah. up until that moment? Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, Sorry, guys. <laughs> so, um, it's the existence of a book written by uh, an in-universe writer called um, Hawthorne Abinson, um, which is a uh, great name. There's some great names in yes. here, by the way. There's Hawthorne Abinson... There's uh, Nobusuke Tagomi and Frank Frank, yes. <laughs> formerly Fink. Yeah. I like, he was, he's a secretly Jewish American veteran of the World, World War II. Um, in order to disguise his identity, he changed his name from Fink to Frank. <laughs> you know, well, I wouldn't recognize him. That, that, that obviously overtly Gentile name, Frank. <laughs> you Frank Fink, the Jewish guy? Nope, I'm Frank Frank, <laughs> the Gentile. So you got me. Good. I, a gentile lot. wouldn't use the word gentile to describe himself. I'm Frank Frank, the Goyim. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never think of myself as a gentile. You wouldn't. I don't like to be reminded. Okay. What? So <laughs> I don't like labels. Okay, but you call yourself a cat. <laughs> that's not a label. That's a name. <laughs> and you, and you, you're part of a shadowy cabal that runs the world. <laughs> that dislikes labels, <laughs> despite the fact that one of those um, members is Mo Amar, the last square comedian of the year 2017. That was um, the year 37 AC, um, for those keeping score at home, by the way. Sorry, just to clarify, the new Bildenberg Group directive is the dislike of labels. Okay. So you're What's not that called? It's called the Directive 4. Right, <laughs> I couldn't think of a funny name because <laughs> we don't name our things with funny names. We give them reasonable names. Of course, of course. So, so like, you'll no longer be able to name your girlfriend your girlfriend. Of course, of course. You'll have to describe them as someone you have been seeing. Yeah, I would also argue that like your naming directive would contravene the directive itself because you're labeling the directive. Yeah, well, as I said before, names are not the same yeah. thing as labels. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. But your filing system must be fucked. Well. Uh, we mean way more metaphysical labels. You're being very pernickety. Metaphysical labels? <laughs> like boyfriend or man. Is that, is that metaphysical? No. It's a direct examples of physical things. <laughs> the concept of a boyfriend is metaphysical. Like causality, you don't want labels. <laughs> or transubstantiation. <laughs> no. Or stuff. Yeah, that's a label. Yeah, it is. <laughs> It's a physical label in some ways. Okay, let's. Like, I, feel, I feel we're getting really too bogged down. I guess I interrupted our own thought process to talk about the major reveal of the book, which is essentially um, there exists in the world of the Man in the High Castle a novel written by uh, the author Hawthorne Abinson called The Grasshopper Lies Heavy, which depicts. An alternate history in which the Allies won World War II, um, a concept that amazes and intrigues its readers. Um, what's interesting to me, though, about this is that it's not exactly a utopian novel either, 
because it posits a world in which, um, yes, the Allied forces win the war, but things aren't that great either. It doesn't actually play out the way... It's not actually our world. No, no. Um, and interestingly, uh, what happens is that um, Churchill remains British Prime Minister, and Soviet Union collapses because it was crippled by the war. U.S. establishes strong business relationships with uh, Chiang Kai-shek's right-wing regime in China after vanquishing the communist Mao Zedong in the Chinese Civil War. The British Empire becomes more racist and expansionist post-war, and while the U.S. outlaws Jim Crow laws resolving its racism by the 50s, but this provokes racial cultural tensions between the U.S. and the U.K. So what we've got here is like another sort of like Cold War based upon the U.S. and U.K., uh, 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 disagreement over how you should treat um, uh, uh, different races as well. And it's kind of suggested in the novel that the British Empire eventually defeats the US and becomes the sole world superpower. So it's, again, not a great picture of the alternate like um, uh, history. It's amazing they managed to resolve racism by the 50s <laughs> just by undoing the Jim Crow laws. <laughs> yeah, that's it's incredibly efficient. I mean, yeah, they resolve it and they hate racism so much they'll go to war with somebody who's considered racist. Yeah, exactly. The UK, exactly. Um, I, 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 yeah, we can, p- we can pick holes all you want in Hawthorne Abinson's like, um, book, The Grass Hopper Lies Heavy. But I want to talk about the idea that I've, even in this hopeful, well, so to speak, hopeful work of uh, alternate history, it's not exactly um, all sunshine and roses. And I don't know whether that's a, commentary on um the way that we well there's a there's a famous saying there's a famous saying i think it was popularized by mark fisher uh the cultural theorist um and mark think- fisher he changed his name to <laughs> <laughs> he changed his name to yeah so people wouldn't think he liked fish <laughs> <laughs> not because he was trying to keep his um, secret identity <laughs> mark fisher okay okay um yeah Sorry, going back to my the quote, he um, I think he's paraphrasing something said by um, Slavoj Žižek, where he said, um, "It's easier for people to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism." Now, when he said that, it's the idea that like everything that we read about in science fiction or dystopian novels is always dystopian. We never think of anything that's hopeful or utopian, and I think this is kind of like a really interesting point that's made in Philip K. Dick's book. Yes, this is a book that's illegal because it imagines a world which is uh, not run by the Nazis and the Japanese, um, but it's still not exactly a utopian right, story that they're telling. No, and it's it's kind of the flip side to what's happening in the in the universe of the book, hmm. where there is this plot which is revealed, which is a big climactic reveal as well uh, by the Reich, hmm. by Germany, to actually. Uh, launch a surprise nuclear attack on Japan mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and wipe them out. So this idea of um, there's always uh, you know two when there are two powers in power, one is going to want to dominate the other and take over, and that's still happening in the alternate universe where you're saying the UK eventually wins it's suggested they win so Uh, it's a comment on yeah power and empire is that the um a commentary on the humanity's inability to imagine anything else though comment on uh 
just inherent factionalism. I mean, already we've split in this wow. this four of the captain is definitely creating his own well, cabal to control the world. Again, it's a benevolent one, which I'm very quite happy. To, uh, I'm quite happy because I'm a I have a slave mentality, so I'm quite I'm quite happy to follow. But I'm saying maybe Johnny or Chin would oppose that. Yeah, I definitely. I, 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 I sense. Yeah, there's there is some opposition to it. So, a little bit of uh, resistance. Yeah. So again, it's a natural resistance, which you you know other people will flock to, and you'll create your own group. Yeah. That will be in opposition to uh, the Bilderberg group. And uh, this book, yeah, man, I cast about lots of factions, uh, faction, a faction uh, on the German side, faction on Japan side. They're trying to meet uh, in America to stop this uh, surprise nuclear attack. Operation Dandelion. Right, Operation Dandelion. Yeah, it's a yeah. great name for an operation. <laughs> I was looking at the actual Nazis, <laughs> Nazis' operation names. And they're all like basically, <laughs> they basically tell you what they're going to do in like yeah. a cryptic crossword. So, so Operation Sea Lion, that's the invasion of Britain. Yeah. Operation Barbarossa is German for red beard, just when they invade Russia. <laughs> uh, Operation Tannenbaum is when they, uh, his fur trays, when they <laughs> invade Norway. Didn't they change it when they wanted to keep it secret to Operation Tannenbaum? <laughs> it's like nobody can know. So just put an R there and like, oh, okay. I guess it's not a um is is that cool for using a um a fairly Jewish name as well, like uh for their operation. I don't think the Nazis much cared for what you thought was cool shit. <laughs> 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 it didn't go well with this tailor our operation name so it doesn't offend a whiny millennial. Hey, I want to say <laughs> Or I'm saying that maybe if they did give more of an idea of what I thought was cool, they might have won. Just a thought. Just a thought. Like, um would you take that job? Like, so, let's in a kind of um, you're, let's say you're in a Nick Clegg Vince Cable situation okay. when the Nazis say, "Come and work with us," okay, and you'll like help them win, yeah, but you'll be able to soften them slightly. So, who's the alternative then? Um, if like, so, either it's like Nazism happened as it happened, okay, or in 1939, you're like, "Hey, I'm going to be your advisor again," like Nick Clegg or Vince Cable, okay. the Tory government, and they just kind of like soften and dial it down a bit. Okay, would you take that job? I'd have to give him. I'd have to ask him a few questions about his policies first, because um, I'm not very familiar with what they are. Um, like, for example, how do you feel about Clint Eastwood? <laughs> you wouldn't been born. Mm, strike one already for the Nazis, <laughs> then. Uh, and also, sorry, in this hypothetical, what, what, where is what's Chin? Chin's just. Um He's what he is now, but he's not a podcaster. He's like, uh, he's on the radio. It's like Mother Night. Ah, okay, But you've got okay, a bit yeah. more influence. Okay, yeah, yeah, of course. Of There's course. a podcast where I come on and talk about books that aren't the ones that are assigned. Yeah. Um, and I've got a, got a bit more influence than um, the, the dude in Mother Night. Um, you know what? Um, and I don't have any hindsight, obviously, as to like what the uh, what the Nazis are up to. I've already they've already failed my first test, which is like their Clint Eastwood position. Yeah, I mean, you don't know that they're Nazis. What, what is what is your view on Clint on Clint Eastwood? Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I need mean, this news to come up again. Yes, of course. <laughs> is this 
Well, you see, I'm a, I'm a, I am a bit of a dab. I'm a bit of a writer as well as a reader, Adam. Um, and I've only got one work which is in circulation at the moment. Um, it's a short story uh, based off. Uh, have you are you familiar with the book, um, um, the movie, Every Which Way But Loose? You know, I I have seen it, but very when I was very young. Okay, all right. So I'm not as uh, so I'm very with it. Uh, but you know the basic know premise. The, yeah. the basic premise. Yeah. Okay, so what yeah, I exactly orangutan. Yes, exactly. So my um, work um, takes the basic premise of every which way but loose and sort of like like flips it slightly. So instead of Clint Eastwood and this orangutan right going on an adventure in a lorry together, what happens is that Clint Eastwood just goes down the orangutan, just goes down there for like half an hour, um, and that's the story. And this, he brings this up a lot. Right, right. You can find it. You can find it. Um, God, the, uh, this, this international uh, historical man of mystery who runs the world seems really exasperated by Jen's bringing up a, <laughs> any which way but loose. Um, Very can, irritating if, to the Bilderberg group. Yeah. If you want to check it out, like don't search for it under my name because I didn't write it under my name. I wrote it under a pen name. Um, it's Orangutan Lover 69. And um, yeah, it's. That sounds very interesting. Uh, my first question is, how big is the orangutan's penis? Because oh, it's a female I, orangutan. It's a female orangutan. Gee, well, that shows my sexual preference <laughs> when it comes to orangutans. Which I, I didn't realise, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm gay when it comes to orangutans. Because um, I know, but I no read, need to labour yourself. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I read that when you say go down. Yeah. You go down a woman. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, yeah you do. You do. Well, well if you would like. If, uh, I mean. <laughs> Te- 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 technically, the words that I use in the fan- in the the work itself are eat out. Eat- uh, well, I see that would have uh, maybe yeah. I wouldn't. I would have uh, not made this terrible mistake. That's <laughs> not a terrible it's, mistake. It's, no, in fact, you give me an idea for a sequel. Well, I just want to say no. But apparently, apparently the gorilla's uh, male male silverback gorilla's penis is one centimeter long. Wow! And that's why they're so kind of angry. Just <laughs> 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 they compensate. <laughs> what do you, so you you think the size. you think the gorillas are aware of the fact very, that very self conscious compared to humans because but if humans if all human penis sizes were divided by ten so if the average human had a penis of only two inches for example. Then, <laughs> wait, so it's too big, mate. Wait, so you're saying that you've got a penis that is twenty inches long? I thought that was normal. Sorry, it's like a disability. How do you think I got into the Bilderberg group? Okay, exactly. Just big dick energy. That's the that's the quotes of the, the, the entry. So yeah. You. <laughs> you, John Ronson, and Moamar just met in the room. And the other person I said. I and the other person I said. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes, Paul <laughs> Thomas Anderson, that's right. I just sort of... He does like tripods. <laughs> so you all basically saw each other's dicks and just uh, like, yeah, you get to be in the group. Um, yeah, that's how it works. Okay, right. You have to let them see that you're in the room without you actually being in the room, if you oh, know what I mean. So it's like the opening of the Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, Anyway, as I was saying. What's that Star Wars movie again? <laughs> oh, yeah, Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> he just goes, Bray! That's how it begins. Um, no, uh, sorry, going back to our original point, which I've kind of forgotten, um, we were talking about uh, the uh, factionalism, factionalism uh, in, in the world and how, like, uh, uh, 
this book, The Grasshopper Lies Heavy, it represents something hopeful for the people living in uh, this um, nightmarish uh, dystopian world. Well, yeah, and it it gets even more hopeful at the very end because there's this suggestion uh, that, well, this woman, yeah, one of the main characters travels to the writer's house. The man in the high castle is, is the is actually the writer because mm. he lives in a house high called car. the High Castle, mm-hmm. <laughs> treehouse, <laughs> <laughs> um, in the in the in the Rockies in Colorado, yes. and uh, she travels there having killed his would-be assassin. That's right, which is a great uh, moment. Um, she uh, slices his neck with mm-hmm. a with a uh, like a. Um, a hotel razor blade. What's what's the word for when you get it free? Something like complimentary. complimentary. A complimentary razor blade. It's one of my industries. Exactly. <laughs> How do you make money from that? Well, you would sell them to the hotel. Uh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Obvious. Okay. Cool. Just as a sad point about my character. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. Cool. Please cool. continue. Yeah. Anyway, she travels to the writer's house, <laughs> and because um, she's interested in the book, but she also, she also wants to warn him. That there's been this, there are these going to be these assassination attempts. Mm-hmm. And while there, she, there's a party going on, and uh, she talks to the writer and his wife, and they, she, they tell her that he actually wrote the book by constantly consulting the I Ching mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. every decision he was going to make in the book, even the decision to write the book in the first place and mm-hmm. what historical period it should be. And then uh, the woman, Juliana, is very interested by this and is like, well, you know, why did the I Ching do this? Let's ask it. So they asked the I Ching, why did you, why did you choose this alternate history? And the, the, the uh, divination that comes back is um, something like interior truth or something like that, mm, 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 or actual truth. Or mm-hmm. And they realize that that means the, the I Ching is suggesting this the novel in the book is actually the real history of the world that the Allies actually won. Mm. And so suggesting that they're living in the alternate, in a, in a fictional world. It's like the book, the characters in the books, just for a moment realizing they're in a book. It's a book breaker. It's, this is the, this is the, this book, is the book breaker. Um, I think that, that Beautifully um, summarized. Um, interestingly enough, um, the I Ching was also used by Philip K. Dick himself um, to inform the uh, writing of The Man in the High Castle oh, wow. in a bit oh, of like metafictional uh, uh, device. Um, but I have to say, like, I'm not not being a party pooper or anything, but like this is like feeds into the idea of the death of the author, whereas you co- she wants to track down the author. And it turns out uh, your author has been making all these choices, um, being directed by an ancient Chinese philosophy. He wasn't actually uh, uh, um, making any decisions at all. He was just divining it from the I Ching sticks. Now, you could either choose to accept that as being like, that's very deep, or you could think like, oh, it's absolute rubbish. Now, how would you I feel? I don't think it's a dichotomy. <laughs> well, I no, could just I, think it's okay. Okay, how would you, how, no, how would you feel? <laughs> how would <way. laughs> <laughs> How would you feel, right, if there was a book, right, that like you really loved, 
and you thought and you thought the stories were great and you were living your life according to that book and then you've tracked down the person who wrote that book and the person said oh no i i didn't write it really I'm i use predictive text <laughs> exactly i just kept hitting the middle <laughs> button on my phone to write all the sentences um but it's no different than um uh what's it called captain what's it called I don't know what it's all uh, he, he worked with David Bowie. He's a music producer. Brian Eno. John mm. Ronson. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, lateral thinking cards in creativity. Oh, yes. Uh, the um, oblique strategies. Yeah. Yes. The, the idea is that any writing is a, is, is, a, is a communication with your own subconscious. And so it, you, could, you could use a piece of ancient wisdom or you could use just any kind of like a cut-up technique like William Burroughs. Yeah. And it's the... <clears throat> The fact that something has not been planned from the beginning does not mean the act of creativity in itself was less worthwhile. Uh, this, is, this is all skirting very dangerously into Luke Reinhardt Dice Man territory. Yeah? No, it's not, because there's no threats of anyone being horribly assaulted. <laughs> <laughs> Stanley <laughs> here, see episode 21. <laughs> unless, unless you, for whatever reason, decide to make that one of your default choices. <laughs> Which is really dark, really dark. Yeah, you, I don't know why you put that on the table in the first place. But yes, no, I, I think it's yeah. It, he, 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 he. There is a like um, Adam was saying that the suggestion that the I Ching represents a deeper truth that goes beyond something that like he would have been responsible for if he'd been writing it um, consciously. And what's happened is that like there's a greater power, a greater spirit that's apparently moving through them, but only if you choose to elect to believe that this is there is a purpose behind it and not just a guy randomly divining like um, what they want from well, well, essentially randomness, really. It's the idea that things exist, art exists out there already, like uh, Greek sculptures, they sort of... Already exist. Yeah, they already exist. They're ancient, before Chin, obviously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but they would think a block of stone... Uh, the 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 sculpture is actually in the block of stone already, and I'm I'm just releasing it from its kind of uh, rocky prison. That's an interesting <laughs> way to think uh, about. That's sculpture. like being you being in a prison made of human flesh. What if you were just a big <laughs> block of flesh? I yeah. <laughs> so you were born as I a six foot tall you, block. Are you comparing my mother to a square square block? <laughs> No, what I'm saying is, and... what if you committed a crime? Because <laughs> you called it a rocky prison. You committed a crime, and then to punish you, you were there for encased in a sort of six foot four uh, cube of human flesh. <laughs> so would that be well, fair? I, I, Do you think that would be a fair punishment? Yeah. It depends on what I did. This is how all art works, by the way. You commit a crime, yeah. and then you're trapped in a prison... Like, uh, in the case of writers, it's a, uh, it's trapped in a tree, a prison, that's a tree. Um, in the case of, uh, musicians, it's also kind of trapped in, um, the air, I guess, or in your throat. Um, and then you, uh, whittle it away until the song or the melody is produced or the book itself. Sorry, I don't, I'm not fine. Yeah. Well, you commit a crime. <laughs> I don't know why this is so difficult to follow. So your punishment is you're trapped in the medium. No, you're not trapped in it. The oh. thing is trapped. The song or the book. Like, in this case. So what, why have they committed a crime? Because the... they're trapped in prison. Because, the, well, the trees, com- well, the song has committed the crime again. Ah, uh, the song's like a love crime. Yeah. How do we get the songs on board to say, like, you've got to commit a crime for me to unleash you from your. Uh, not even being written yet. Sonic, exactly. 
I don't think this analogy works, Johnny. Um, no, I think we're, not, we're just not trying hard enough. Okay. Sculptures <laughs> yeah. is the only form of art for which it works. Because a painting, a painting is not trapped in anything. It's trapped in all the little minerals the, yeah, that you have the to the paint. I yeah. mean, yes. You could look at literature. I mean, the wor- words exist. Nobody's making up. Well, maybe Joyce. But even Joyce is combining words. Um, all all words are made up. Scrumptious. What? <laughs> <laughs> No, they're not made up. <laughs> no, it's not made up. That's always existed from the beginning of time. Okay. In the beginning, there was the word, and the word was scrumptious. <laughs> Cavemen were using that to describe their berries. <laughs> um, okay. Right. Uh, uh, okay. As you were saying, I, um, I, I think rather than focusing on the creative act, I wanted to. Uh, I think about like the, the hope that that is divine from this, and the fact that. There's this almost stoic resignation uh, in the way that they accept that, like, oh, we're not, this is probably not real. We're not real. And that we're living in a made-up world. And in the real world, the Nazis didn't win. The Allies won. Well, so, well the writer kind of gets angry and refuses. He kind of goes back to his party. He kind of refuses to think about it. And, right. and uh, Juliana kind of sort of, I don't know, yeah, it's strange how she, it's not really clear how she thinks about it. She's just kind of walking down the street in the last image of the book, sort of drifting along. Yeah, something's changed. Yeah, let's but have a... she hasn't, she doesn't, I don't know, there's no sense, like, what's next? I don't know what's next. Yeah, it just kind of, it's it's this very sudden ending. I'll just read the last couple, a uh, few paragraphs. Um, well, maybe, limit yourself to a sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe a sentence. Uh, uh, no, I can't because it doesn't give much my context. I'm so gently, gently put. I can't. Oh, you really are. I need to give you the, the context. Okay, I'll give you the context. It really is. She walks on without looking again at the Abinson house and as she walks, searching up and down the streets for a cab or a car, moving and bright and living to take her back to her motel. That's it. Doesn't really give us much of a flavor. Well, that, that, that moving, bright and living that seems like a significant that choice is of uh, something. Yeah, it's kind of hopeful. Well, life will go on for her, won't it? And yeah, I guess, but how? Not what like, she? Because well, it doesn't. Because if you accept that, like you're just a character in a book, and the book ends, then that's it. Not necessarily. Some books have an implied ending. I mean, not all, they have an implied ending, um, but I think. I mean, I haven't read much in terms of the... I haven't actually seen the TV show, for example, which could be said to be like a continuation of this universe and the characters and letting it all play out. Like how... I don't think it would be... Yeah, I don't think you could end the TV series the same way the book ends, which is basically say, oh, this is probably not real. Sopranos. Oh, spoiler, by the way. Spoiler for the Sopranos out there. Sopranos. It's a great ending. It's a great ending, but is it a point where the character says, uh, I'm not real. This is not real. I'm just a character in a TV show. And then it cuts to black. And even then, that's that's an ending which basically says, yeah, the characters can't live beyond that moment. That's how Seinfeld ended. Yeah. Well, David Chase took it even further by actually murdering James Gandolfini to make sure that, like, um, that's it forever. (laughs) Took him a while, though. Took him, he said, like, what, yeah. He, yeah, David Chase, like, finished the show, and then a few years later, 
wait a second, why didn't I kill that guy? And then he went over to Rome and murdered James Gandolfini. Well, he's a writer, he's not an assassin, so he's not going to just smash it his first try. It's true, and he hates Dead Hines as well, so like... Dead Hines! Dave Hines! I thought he said Dead Hines, not Orange! Yes, he also hates Dev Hines as well. You're next, Dev, he said. He's in the Bilderberg group as well, Dev Hines. As he finished killing James Gandolfini, he said, and you're next, Dev Hines. From Blood Orange. From Blood Orange. Um, but the, the point of the implied ending is if you look at like um, like Infinite Jest the whole point of that as an ending is that it doesn't but it gives you all the the pieces to infer what the real real inverted commas uh, ending would be right so by extension you could say that any book if you bother to imagine it is having I disagree with your premise that the character dies the second the book <laughs> that finishes um no I, I'm not saying that happens to everybody but I, I think it's a very it's a very postmodern concept though the idea that like uh, characters um, to a certain degree not all of them die as soon as the book ends but in a more sort of like uh, <laughs> great they just died yeah everybody's just like close book no what have I done I've killed them all and then so the sequel of every book is corpses littered the earth <laughs> But then they stood up again and said, <laughs> we are alive now. It's like the toys in Toy Story. Right, right. I think... Who um, dies? They, they die. Every time you switch off the DVD, they die. <laughs> They're all dead. That would be a great film if they didn't remember the previous time. That they died. No, that they they, they had played with and had presets and then they come back to life immediately from the beginning. Uh, well, that's actually a premise of a Twilight Zone episode. Uh, mm. Six characters in search of a premise, I think. Um, it's also, six characters in search of an author is a play from hundreds of years ago. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, it's, but, but I think most people remember the Twilight Zone. Yes, <laughs> true. But this is a postmodern concept. The uh, postmodern idea of like if you're aware of the fact that you are a character within a book uh, or something that doesn't exist, then ultimately... You are dependent upon the reader to uh, read the book and um, actually give, to give you life because you're not actually alive. You only exist within the minds of those reading you. So the minute that like you close the book and put the book on the shelf, you cease to exist effectively. What about uh, a character who's aware they're like a character? <laughs> like what a character? Yeah, like you know, like Begbie is aware that he's like a character, <laughs> <laughs> like a like a legend, like an absolute yeah, legend. <laughs> A big personality. Okay. Like, so, like the captain here, he's a character. Yes, he is. Yeah, 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 the yeah. woman that I've been seeing, been seeing, describes me as a character. Oh, who yeah. you've been seeing? Well, oh, my, the woman that I've been seeing her for a good fifty years. Is that her name? <laughs> no, her name the is the woman I've been seeing for Sandra. the past fifty years. Sandra. Okay. Yeah, we were married, but we don't like labels. Okay. Fifty years. Congratulations. Any, anyway, I had a point about twenty. <laughs> So, so I don't care either. Interesting idea about do you think the, the toys in Toy Story have the oh. character that were put upon them by the child? Or do you think they have an inherent character? Inherent. Well, guess if you look at uh Toy Story One, there's the torture house. Mm. And like the toys like sort of smash together to create weird monstrosities. That would be the character if if what's the kid called? Spike or something. Mm. Uh, evil child, the character is called yes. Sid. Sid. If Sid has given them the character of being like, you're a you're a crazy monster, but they don't feel that themselves. Mm, that's true. But Buzz Lightyear is a character. He takes on the characteristics of the character he's playing, which is Buzz Lightyear, the part of the space force, and he thinks he is the actual Buzz Lightyear. But, but that's not given to him. That's that he's not unique, doesn't he? So that's he true. Changes. Do, do all those Buzz Lightyear's go Eventually through that, change, yeah. learning that process? 
Ooh, this or... is a very interesting, like, a uh, philosophical query. Because I mean, in it... Toy Story 2, they visit the land, the, the toy shop, and there's, mm. like, the Barbie aisle. Mm. And they're living, like, a life of, like, a Barbie would. Right. But importantly, a Barbie's a cat that could exist, because... It's just like playing in like landing by pools and things. Right. Whereas right. Buzz Lightyear believes a little light on his wrist is an actual laser. That's right. That's absolutely right. But also, he knows enough to pretend to be a toy when like Andy comes in to play with him. Yeah. What a, what a fraud. <laughs> <laughs> what does he think's happening? I don't know. <laughs> That's true. Maybe he just thinks like, uh, oh, better pretend to be a toy, <laughs> and I'm back. Like, I'm Buzz Lightyear again. I always wonder this. In, for example, Toy Story, yeah. what movies in universe do people watch? Do they watch... So, for example, does Cars exist in the world of Toy Story? Yeah. And, and so on. Yeah. That's an interesting And did... Did John Lasseter sexually harass <laughs> his... In the world of Toy Story? Mm. <laughs> Whilst making... The Toy Story cars or the other films. Or... And more importantly, did John Lasseter go around to everybody saying like, but read this book I wrote in which depicts an alternate world where I didn't harass <laughs> anybody. <laughs> like, doesn't that give you hope? That's, that's the advice. Hey, hey maybe, that's maybe the... that's the real world we're living in. <laughs> well, actually, one where I didn't harass anyone. Defense. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Jim Davidson did a similar thing. He wrote a play in which uh, a, a Jim Davidson-style comedian is ostracized by the loony left, uh, but then at the end, him and the young comedian, who who is against racism like a nerd, uh, kind of come to an understanding that maybe the old racist comedian has some points after all. <laughs> and so he, that's very much a case of, him, like the end of Annie Hall, yeah. him writing a play that he just wants to be reality. Jim Davidson's book ends with the line, if I'm so racist, then why did I consult the I Ching to help me write this book of where... Obviously, I'm not racist in this real world. Um, yeah, no, you can abnegate responsibility. Can't you? <laughs> completely, just, yeah, completely. I'm racist because I consulted the I Ching. <laughs> I consulted the I Ching. I killed that woman. <laughs> and the I Ching the told I Ching. me we're just characters in a book. None of this is real. Uh, this is the real world. The book that I wrote. That's do, not meant to be. Do you know how the I Ching works? And I, it's. I believe. I believe it's with sticks. It's you're right. Yeah, you you create a is it you you have to get a random some sort of random number mm-hmm. by throwing sticks or yeah. coins, yeah. and then you look in the book mm-hmm. at the number mm-hmm. corresponding. Is that how? It That's works? pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Um, quite simple. Mm-hmm. And uh, the book has been collected over time. That's it's right. It's not. It wasn't written. It's all pretty right. accurate. Yeah, originally there were just two numbers. Yeah, there was only two numbers. But like, um, <laughs> you know how accurate it is? It's actually responsible, like for like um, the significance of certain numbers, like um, because China, Chinese culture is very heavily based on numerical significance. Like we got things like we don't like the number four because it sounds a lot like the, uh, the Chinese word for death, so it's considered an unlucky number. Whereas why uh, we don't like the death? We don't like the death either. Yeah, we don't like death. Um, <laughs> Because uh, it sounds like four. Yeah. Uh, um, I thought to apologise, but. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if someone writes this down and tells you. Do you know if you like grab the sticks and you throw them and you get the number 69 in the book, it says nice. Right. Yeah. And that's where it comes from. That's where it comes that's from. That's the thing the that Chinese, the Chinese have in common with Nazis, is they love little coldy numbers. Yes. This <laughs> is very true, yeah. Um, I, I, we, look, numbers. I mean. I mean 
that's not the only thing we have in common with Nazis. Like, uh... We both got feet. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true. It's very true. Uh, um, we, uh, we both have a fine appreciation for Wagner. Uh, Do you? Yeah. Chinese oh, love Wagner. Right? You know, when you go to China, everywhere you go, it's ba-ba-ba-da-ba-ba around the campfires. <laughs> Campfires of China. Campfires of China. <laughs> Eating our beans. Singing ba 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 da ba 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 da ba ba. Everybody. Uh, oh, wait, excellent. I'm plotting the final domination of it. <laughs> um, okay, um, I think we're, 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 we're kind of reaching the end of our discussion about the man in the high castle. Um, I guess I just want to uh, end with... Uh, one final discussion point about uh, the man in the high castle. Do you think that it's? Do you think it's a? Sat- are you satisfied by the ending? Do you? Th- or do you feel it's a bit of a cop out? Do you think the I Ching provides a strong story structure? I've said already before that the actual mechanics of the plot don't interest me as much as much as the actual world itself. So well. It does satisfy me actually. Uh, the first time I read this book, well, I didn't. I didn't really enjoy it mm. because there's, there's so many, there's so many characters and so many plots, and it's all very written in a very internal way. Where they're sort of the thinking, they're constantly sort of worried or paranoid, or mm. and it's all about it's all sort of inside their heads a lot. And there's when I first read, it, I thought there's not a lot of action mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and. The things like the description of the Holocaust in Africa is just sort of, it's just sort of barely mentioned. And I was like, yeah, I want to, what happened in Africa? I want to actual details. Not that, I, not that I'm celebrating it in any way. I just would, you know, just interested to know the drainage, the drainage of yes. the Mediterranean. What an incredible, uh, agricultural project that is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want, I want to know the details about how it happens. So, You're not celebrating it. You just want the details of the technical achievements yes, of the Nazi regime. Well, yes, it, exactly. it turned out that they just, it was just... I have spirit to have written the... Uh, <laughs> turns out it was just like Hitler went to the Mediterranean, put like a big hose in the Mediterranean, sucked some of the water out and just poured it out the other side. Like, you know, like... When you, <laughs> Could you do that? Would that work? Um, I'm asking for a friend. It, de- it depends. <laughs> I, it, it, <laughs> I guess if you had a long enough straw and you could use the gravity to actually empty out the entirety of the Mediterranean like it was an aquarium and had another receptacle to collect all that water in, which was slightly lower, then yeah, why not? The Mediterranean is not, uh, <laughs> is attached through water to the rest of the water in the world. You're right. It's not like, there's not like a little wall that keeps it in. <laughs> well, no, they, they build a wall, don't they? Yeah, which is, mm. as a, so yeah, but the captain's it. question was, oh. could would it work if you got a tube? <laughs> oh, right, yeah. <laughs> I tried yeah, to siphon it like gasoline. You'd have to siphon the world's oceans as well. Yeah. Into somewhere <laughs> that's not the world. He <laughs> <laughs> um, built a really tall tower. Yeah. Um, for the listeners at home, I've got... My hands are about 10 inches apart. About that width, I just went, it just went up very high. <laughs> You can maybe get the water into there. Right. So you've got all the world's water. <laughs> just And then you can put a stick in it and make a huge like ice pole. <laughs> and then that'd be, that'd be something to do, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would make you a Nazi, though. It would make you a Nazi. How high would all the world's water be if it was in a tower ten inches tall? Wow. That's oh. a question for Randall Monroe from XKCV. 
That is. That is. Um, this is how you issue the, the Bilderberg Group's edicts to, to various internet comic book writers. Um, I think that, that, that question I just asked, um, I guess it's like veering perilously close to uh, where I ask you to give me your thoughts and feelings about the book and give us any notes that you would have provided to us. Um, so let's just go to it um, and let me go to the section of the show where we ask for your notes if you have any um, about the book. It's a section called Notes. I'm getting a feeling that everybody likes this book today. Wow, I liked it very much. But I liked it the second time. Yeah, I was, I was, I was saying the first time I didn't like it. Because mm. I couldn't get it. Why home. did you go back to it? Because <laughs> the fifth podcast. <laughs> I was, I, because uh, you'd already done a clockwork orange. Which, uh, was my first choice. It was, it was. And then, uh, I couldn't really remember Cloud Atlas. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh my god, in Man Eye Castle, and <laughs> fuck, I better read it again. I hate that book. <laughs> actually, really enjoyed it this time because uh, I think you, you have to attune to different certain books' style. Like when I first read Naked Lunch, I couldn't yes. understand it. Oh gosh, yeah. Because I'd never read anything which wasn't a straight narrative following yeah. one character. But uh, second time I read it, I was really into the buggery and hanging and I was masturbating a lot so I got really I'm well, sure and, that's how you meant to enjoy yeah, that sorry, book that's but, just um, how I is that, enjoyed the book I didn't know that because it's, it's, it's every William Powell's book about buggery and hanging it, yeah yes <laughs> absolutely yeah it was kind of his thing soft machine ticket exploded yep <laughs> and, and sex with aliens yep that's, mm. that's a lot that's a big thing and, and, and the it. big bumper book of buggery and hangings yeah <laughs> a bit on the nose of that title but like uh, um, let's let's go in a uh, clockwise fashion starting with uh, the captain um, let me know what did you think about the man in the high castle and how would you have improved it as I said I enjoyed it quite a lot mm-hmm. I think it's a great it was a great great book um, how would have I improved it you asked mm. well I felt there wasn't enough mention of me the captain in the alternative history okay I mean, you have loomed large over the history of the actual world. I have. Well, I loomed small, I would say. Yeah, and you are able to traverse <laughs> the uh, the worlds of fiction and reality, seemingly at will. Not at will. I just, as I said before, I just knew Scott F. Gerald or whatever his name was. <laughs> Scott. You knew him, but you had no respect for him. <laughs> no, I hated that bitch. <laughs> Okay, okay. So, so how would you feature? How do you imagine yourself um, featuring in this world of the man in the high castle? Then, well, in the in the, in the sub secondary book about our world, you know, mm. I would have just been there influencing decisions. So you're in the book within the book in the cornstarch industry, perhaps. Okay, I see, I see. So you'd feature as a character, a cornflower magnate in the world of the grasshopper lies heavy. Yeah, and you'd have one of the book characters, like Juliana, reading the book, said, "Hmm, this captain, he's a pretty interesting character. I will, I will make sure I ask about him when I meet Hawthorne Abinson. Yeah, and say like, um, hey." Why do you put more scenes involving the captain in your book, The Grasshopper Lies Heavy? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Exactly. You got it spot on. Mm. This is like the most egregious use of self-insert into a, a, a well, work of fiction yeah. I've ever heard of. Um, they could have just replaced the grasshopper 
Lies Steady with My Memoirs. Oh, what? Which were written by Heron X, of course. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, I remember those memoirs. They were very, very haltingly delivered and didn't make a lot of sense. What was the name of the memoirs again? I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> I have to ask Heron X. He wrote them. Ironically, the only thing you didn't record was the writing of the memoirs, and as a result... Mm. They've lost time forever. Yeah. Um, okay, is that the only note you've had? My only note. Okay, it's a positive review and a strong note from the captain. Johnny, what do you think of The Man in the High Castle? I liked How it. improved it? I thought it was good. Uh, I've got a few notes. One, I think any book, especially a sci-fi or fantasy book, uh, can benefit from having a map at the beginning. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. I love a map. And, like, uh, often, um, you don't need to know any of the information on the map. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you look at the map at the beginning of Dune, for example, mm-hmm. is just a round circle to indicate the face of a planet. I just dots say Freeman Camp, <laughs> Spice Mines, <laughs> uh, wor- Wormy Zone, <laughs> um, sort of like that. It, it would be a map. It would just be a map of, 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 of the world as is, a slightly smaller Mediterranean Sea, <laughs> and then maybe like a dotted line to show like territory. Okay, and okay. then maybe like a map of. Um, just like the, the floor pan of the man in the high castle's kitchen. Just, <laughs> <laughs> he's a very good writer. I want to know where he, what his habits are, where he keeps the cop. Does he? It's true. Does he move a lot? You know. You, you're absolutely right about um, uh, maps playing such a lovely part in fantasy and science fiction, and it's such a bold gambit by the author. Before you've actually like that, that's one of the first things you'll re- you'll read and see, other than the obviously the acknowledgements and the um, the book codes and like published in the year. I don't start by reading the ISP. Yeah. I always read all those things. I always read all those things. I, Actually, I will check when it was first published, try to take it in some kind of context. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For example, I'm reading Steppenwolf at the moment. Yes. And I want to know, is this a man from the past or is this a prick? And the idea is a man from the past. <laughs> okay, okay. That's, I, I mean, yeah, so like, but you're just like assaulting them with all this sort of information and overloading them with things that, we, like I said, the Dune map is such a great example of that. I don't know what any of these things are. This is literally a page of gibberish. And immediately I had to say, Freeman Camp, this isn't the world. What is this? I don't understand any of these words. And then what's really, what's really an excellent move by Frank Herbert is then he starts the actual page of prose with even more gibberish. <laughs> Terms like Gom Jabbar. <laughs> I know, right? Words like chapter one. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Jesus. Paul. <laughs> Prologue? Nah, I'm sorry. I'm not up. I'm not up for this. It's not for me. Said English. Um, thank you very much for that note, Charlie. The, the Book of Dave has a very good map. I, it does. I'm just saying that because I can see it on. I think that was yeah. one of your other choices as well. Like, yeah, uh, no, yeah, so like the Atlas. The, the Book of Dave. It's a, it's a book about. Uh, yeah, it's a, an Atlas of the um, Channel Dave. That's why I was uh, infuriated by Cloud Atlas as a book. Is I was, I was, I was expecting of any <laughs> any book to do with sci fi yeah. and fantasy. Yeah. I know it's a, lots of different settings and things, yeah. but not a. It's not, the closest you get is at one point someone goes, Here we are. It's like a cloud atlas. <laughs> and that's the big turning point of the book right in the middle. That's true. Oh, I was livid as well. You must have been absolutely livid when you picked up um, Atlas Shrugged as well. And like, but then you sort of thought, no, oh, because it's kind of in the title, really. Mm-hmm. And I bought, like, recently I bought a CD for the first time in ages. It was the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Mm-hmm. Um, Why did you buy Yeah, Yeahs? Because of a certain song. Because of a certain song, Maps. Ah, right? yeah. And I, I take it out and it's just a bunch of lyrics. Yep. Oh, even more infuriating! It's, it's, not, a even about, maps. it's not even about maps. It's a it's a uh, it's a uh, acronym uh, for. I'm not making this up. Uh, my Angus, please stay. 
She wrote oh, it. Well, I can see why I left. Because <laughs> <laughs> she could never just say things outright. She just communicated purely through acronyms. Wait, are all the lines in the song acronyms? No, unfortunately not. Or rather, we are in trouble. Those humans every year. He's doing wait, don't love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're not aware of the lyrics to the song maps. <laughs> the reach, the reach, the references have been startlingly uh, obscure uh, today, and I love it. I love it. I love the dwindling listenership of our podcast. Karen, Karen O is in the Bilderberg group. She, is she now? Yeah. Oh. And how big is her dick? Um, about six inches. <laughs> okay. Because you can only... That's, that's, those are the rules Yeah, but for a like. woman, that's a very that large dick. very, very, very large, yeah. Um, um, we don't like to label people's genders. I know. I mean, I was going to say, like, um, your, 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 your membership, I thought uh, your membership rules were kind of restricted, but apparently, yeah, you're letting ladies... No, as well. we don't like to label sizes and things either. Of course. Well, you don't like labels, but you have a strict <laughs> penis length size hierarchy. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, and, you, and you call yourself the building book group as well. Despite not That's like a name, not a label. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, Adam, what did you think of the Man in the High Castle? How have you improved it? Yeah, no, I, uh, I liked it. As I say, yeah, was the second time I read it, I mm. liked it. Mm. And uh, I uh, I would improve it, yes, with more detail about what happened in Africa and um, what uh, happened to the Mediterranean. And yes, I would have liked to have gone to uh, Mars, maybe. Ooh. Uh, I was landed the group. Well, yeah, yes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, classic hijinks there. Yeah. Classic yeah. hijinks. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's very, very. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, we we kind of. Um, I would like more. Yeah, I would like to see more of the world. I guess, uh, oh. but actually, he gave us enough. I think it just it's good to just glimpse things and. Actually, he's concentrating on these all these plots and schemes and uh, going on. And I kind of also related to there's an antique dealer, American antique dealer called Robert Children. Oh yes, he's one, one of the main characters, and he uh, he's constantly paranoid about getting Japanese etiquette wrong because he's trying to sell these American mm. antiques and artifacts to Japanese businessmen, and he's constantly worried about is he is he being not uh, impolite or is he not being insulting enough because sometimes you have to insult the sort of lower down the class right. structure people and uh i basically have these fears my whole life right you know, right right just wondering yes so am i being polite enough but also am i being insulting enough to people so it's what you're sort of envisaging then, like, or what if, like, peep show, but in this sort of alternate Nazi-led world? Uh, yes, exactly. What? Yeah. Okay. It's all very uh, internal, and I'm sharing a flat with a... Japanese guy. <laughs> I don't know who... I'm probably the... Who about Jeremy, and who else? Who's the other guy? Mark. Mark. Yeah, I, I'd love to be Mark, but I'm actually Jeremy. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm super hands. You super hands, yeah. That's the you're 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 only ever three people in this life. You're either uh, you're either Jeremy, Mark, or super hands. What about Sophie? Yeah. Sophie's just an amalgamation of Mark and um, Jeremy and super hands. They're all just like variations of those three archetypes. Who in like RGB? 
Yes, exactly. Yeah. The Bible, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. New Testament, who is who is the mark of uh, the Gospel of Luke? <laughs> well, who is Jesus, the one, Jesus. Is who the is the one that um, uh, denied uh, Jesus doubting uh, Thomas. three times? Peter. Peter, yeah, oh, that's what Mark. Doubting, what did Doubting Thomas doubt? Doubting Thomas doubted that Jesus was... Jesus like, hey, I'm back. I've, I've come back from the dead. And Doubting Thomas went, what, really? <laughs> and that was enough. <laughs> yeah, he's gone down in history for having a completely like reasonable like opinion. Like, are you really dead? I don't think you come back from the dead. It's like, oh, you're such a doubting Thomas. Um, no, I, they should have called him reasonable Thomas. Like, <laughs> reasonable question, Thomas. <laughs> you know, Thomas, that's fair enough for you to ask that. Check out these holes in my hand. <laughs> okay, that's done it for me. Um, okay, so yeah, check out these holes in my hands. Yeah, but Jesus, what we all remember is when taking you off the cross and burying you in a cave, <laughs> where we moved an enormous boulder that took twelve men to move. Also, I mean, was that? I mean, he just did it that one time, right? Technically, I mean, I mean, no, exactly. If he was one of the disciples, he would have been there for the resurrection of Lazarus. He would have been there for the feeding of the five five hundred. He would have been there for all the miracles that, like, uh, Jesus performed. And I'm assuming he said, nah, "That's not real. I don't believe that." It's all all these things are happening right in front of his eyes, and he's constantly saying, "Nah, nah, don't believe it. Don't yeah, believe it." Proved. I think there should have been a cameo from. Uh, I'm, I'm, I realize I'm giving notes on the Bible now, but I think there should have been a cameo from Doubting Thomas throughout the whole of all his miracles, where he's just constantly like naysaying everything. And finally, when Jesus comes back from the dead. That's the moment he realizes, actually, you are the Messiah. Yeah, yeah, I believe now. So you, you want Doubting Thomas to be like Penn Jillette and just like finding reasons why Jesus could have tricked you into thinking you spent I mean, 5,000. That's one way to refer to it. I just want Doubting Thomas to have an arc, I guess, is the, like, the other way to think. They have not a lot of arcs in the Bible. Yeah, they have no, no arcs. <laughs> just the one. Just the one. Thank you very much for your uh, thoughts and your note there, uh, Adam. Um, I think we're about nearly um, close to wrapping up time. This has been such a worthwhile and um, enlightening conversation. I very much enjoyed it. Uh, I guess the only thing I have to ask is, does anybody want to plug anything now? Oh, that was was very subtly done. (laughs) Thank you very much. Because, yes, I brought along something to plug. Uh, It's uh, a novel called Tomorrow's World by Guy Portman, who uh, I will confess is a friend of mine, but he's very good. Is that a big confession? Uh, (laughs) Yes. Is it a novel about how he didn't actually murder someone and should be set free? (laughs) (laughs) It's his meaty cage. (laughs) And that's the real world, by the way. That's the real world. This is, uh, it's subtitled Darkly Humorous Tales from the Future, and it is a dystopian novel. God, it's kind of like the next 130 years of uh, the world, but mainly America and Britain. And it's written in a very, uh, very short chapters, as you can see, like some of just a few lines long. So that is something to recommend it. Okay. It's very easy. It's like flash fiction, but it's collected and it jumps around different characters, different scenes glimpses of what's going on and it's basically a world where everyone's getting older because uh, there's all this you know te- biotechnology life extension life extension but that's the real problem because it means retirement ages are going up uh, so everyone's working to like 100 130 
Um, and the people who are the richest, these plutocrats start controlling the world because they are able to get the best sort of biotechnology to rejuvenate right. their bodies. And so they grow to incredible ages and they uh, control the wealth, and they're, but they're still sort of banging secretaries and uh, throwing off their karate moves. And there's like a centenarian games for, there's <laughs> Olympic games for over 100 people. And uh, the, the times aren't great. Right. <laughs> it's still impressive that they're going on. And so this, this causes resentment though amongst the populace. Uh, and there is a kind of revolution, but there's a, there's a lot uh, of other sort of strands going on, like religion sort of evolves over time from, because in Britain at the beginning, it's split between some British governments who are militant, militantly secular. Mm-hmm. So they force people at airports to, they force like Muslims to eat bacon and oh, shave off their beards because they're like, we have to be a secular society. But meanwhile, in, in in the Midlands in Britain, it's controlled by a caliphate. <laughs> and if you drive through that caliphate, as some ravers do, and a, a self-driving car accidentally goes into the caliphate and they've got some alcohol on board, uh. and lose a finger because of it. <laughs> so it's like, that's how it starts. But then religion evolves, like people react against this militant secularization. So you get this new kind of, these new, what are they called? Yeah, flagellants like extreme Christians who sort of punish themselves but then that kind of morphs as well and meanwhile all the time celebrities are kind of being worshipped and it reaches a point in the future where David David Hasselhoff becomes a religion um, so it's not a comedy then (laughs) it's a It's a it's a prophetic vision. <laughs> it's a documentary. I thought. Yeah, it was a documentary. It actually, what's going to happen? It fell through. Um, yeah, it fell through a, a porthole, portal in time, yeah, and so like, uh, and this is, I've, I've <laughs> into your hands. I've consulted the eye chin. And, uh, <laughs> this is the truth, and um, then and it grows and evolves, and yes, there's lots of things, and then as AI takes over towards the end as well, and that okay. is very interesting. But I would really highly recommend. It's very dark. Very funny, satirical, and um, he has written uh, four other novels as well, which are very good. But this is probably his best, and I just thought it very it fitted very well in a dystopian theme. I think I think that's um, definitely we were all about that, and I think that's yeah. right up um, the street of anybody who's enjoyed this podcast. For it's a combination of uh, uh, absurdity and um, the absolute. Uh, Lack of hope for the future. Mm. Like, uh, it's a combination of words and ideas. Yes, indeed. Um, and also, it's a book. And you know what we love on this show? It's a book. It's a book. Yeah. Um, and it's got a great forward as well. Okay. Um, great forehead. For, for, forward. <laughs> oh, wow. See, I, my intention yeah. misheard for community and, uh, <laughs> Yes. Does it have a map at the beginning? It, uh, no, it doesn't. Sorry about that. Oh, Sorry. No, 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 no. And yet, Sorry. it's called Tomorrow's World, and it has a picture of a planet. Earth. Well, that, that's the map. Yeah. You got, yes, you got the Earth on the cover. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Okay, there you okay. Go. Fair enough. Fair and it's enough. kind of like, it's got, it's like, what are those shapes on the, it's not like a perfect sphere. It's oh, like it's a, got, got um, ah, it's like a, it's okay. like a, a, a got flat bit. areas, like yeah. slightly flat Earth, I guess, is what you're going with there. Um, 
How, is this available for, for more? Uh, it's uh, Amazon, basically. Amazon. Yeah, go to, go to Amazon and get a, a hard copy or a Kindle. And, okay, excellent. And I wrote the forward, by the way. That's why I think it's great. So sorry about that. But, I've got to get me some of that foreword action. I need somebody to write a book so I can write a, a foreword for them. Um, you can write the foreword to my memoirs? upcoming memoirs. Uh, part five <laughs> in the ongoing series. Part five. Uh, I could probably... I could do that, yeah. I'm writing the... Heron X is still writing the rest. That's yeah. why he's not been on the podcast in a while. Just, yeah, just writing your memoirs. <laughs> like, apparently... From off the top of the dome, because you're not consulting with him in any way, and seem a bit surprised. He emails me occasionally. Well, the last time you were reading about, you seemed surprised by the revelations in the memoirs. (laughs) Uh, uh, Like you didn't know if it happened or not. Um, But in any case, times I'll get that. It's Uh, easy to research me on the internet. He's been doing that. Yes, I mean you got to narrow. Many books been written about me about the captain. (laughs) About the captain. Um, anybody else have anything they'd like to plug? I mean, you just plugged your memoirs, I guess. Yeah, that was a plug. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to plug my show, Ahab, or What If Moby Dick Was Stand-Up Comedy. Mm. You can see every day at the Edinburgh Festival in August, or sometimes at the Brighton uh, Fringe in May. <laughs> oh, I, I would say, I would say uh, we are a big fan of books and comedy, um, so this is definitely right up our street as well. Is it going to a clip? I can do a clip. Do a clip. Here we... Okay, well, if you wow, want to know more of that, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm, my interest has peaked. Uh, definitely check those out. Uh, I just want to say, uh, Fakelet Podcast, we are on Facebook. Um, obviously, if you listen to this, you know how to get the podcast. Um, but you can subscribe and like us. Leave us a review on iTunes. We were called uh, brilliant and also, quote unquote, retarded. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, I mean, not a nice word to say, but hey, it's you know, all a label. Yeah, it's it's a it's all labels, isn't it? And they're not cool. If you would like to ask us a question, talk to us, reach out to us, or request a song uh, to be played at the beginning of the episode, then why don't you contact us at fakinglitpodcast at gmail dot com? Uh, we also have a WordPress site which I barely ever update, and eh, I might get to it one of these days. Uh, we've got a Facebook group as well. Like us on that. Uh, but until next time, thank you so much to all my guests who've been with us uh, today. Um, and I hope to see you all to chat about books very soon until then my name's been Chinti keep supporting your local bookstores and libraries bye bye I love you